Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, thanks, Pastor Jeff. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 17 and read a bit into uh, chapter 4. So, Happy New Year, by the way. Uh, if you looked at the date, it's kind of fun. One, two, three, one, two, three. You see that? Yeah, pretty cool. All right, for those of you who are visiting, glad that you're here. Uh, our church decides to keep our kids in the service. Uh, that's not because we think everybody else who does it differently is wrong. But we find it helpful to let kids be in here. And so you may hear a kid talking or squirming or... Uh, being discontent that they didn't get a candy bar or something like that. And so it's all right. But if you need to, you can go to the back with your child or head out to the hallways. But we um, don't want to be dis- It's fine to have your kids being a bit disturbed. Uh, disturbing people? I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's right. Good. So let your kids be here. All right. Uh, why contentment? Well, why not? the end of a new year, starting another one, or end of an old year, starting a new year. And I want us to consider not just contentment in regards to the stuff you have and you wanting more, although that's a big part of it. Rather think um, regarding contentment in circumstances, trusting God, resting Him in Him, from Him, and as far as Loving Him more than all others, and so receiving from Him whatever He decides to give you. Resting in Him. That's the kind of contentment I want to ask us to consider, and then think about that that kind of contentment is learned. It's not a virtue that's just like downloaded. It's, maybe another said it's earned. It takes a long time, and it doesn't come easy or cheap. All right, so Philippians 3, uh, beginning at verse 17. I had planned to read through 13, but I might read longer if, as we go. All right, brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So they're discontented, but we're to look at those who are contented in Christ. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. All right, let's pray. Father, everything you do is right. There is nothing you've done that has been wrong or mistaken. And so teach us to look to you, especially to your promises, for they are tried and true. We are small, and yet you have given us your righteous and perfect word. So when trouble and anguish find us, teach us to delight in your words, God. So we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a situation here. Paul is concluding this letter, uh, and he wants to impress on them that in this world it's going to be difficult. You're going to have troubles, even within the church. You see, you have people that he's encouraging them to uh, imitate, particularly in verse 9, verse four, or chapter 4, 9 himself. Imitate him, but there are others from within the church who were discontented to the degree that they loved the world so much that they are now enemies of Christ. And so there's going to be trouble. And then circumstantially, he's going to have trouble, which Paul saw himself. So he goes right to himself, his own example, their care for him, and yet whether he's high or low, whether he's abounding or without, he's learned this secret of contentment. And so Paul is expressing simultaneously gratitude to them for their care for him, contentment in the Lord. So he's learned this secret. What I want to do is look at three realities of this contentment before we just define what it is. So three brief realities about it. Just simple way of reminder, hopefully you know this, but sometimes we as Christians begin to think that we're going to be unaffected like the rest of the world. That to be a Christian means that our circumstances won't be like what the rest of the people endure in this world. So we're surprised when God takes our health. Or when God takes a job. Or when God takes a relationship. So you can get in the mindset as a Christian that to be a Christian is only to have a God who gives. A God who increases. And if He's decreasing or taking, then maybe I'm doing it wrong. And if I just learn the trick and do it right, then I'll be blessed and God will give again. But notice again that Paul says here that he has been brought low 
and he's been brought high. He's abounded. He's had any and every circumstances. He's faced plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so the simple, helpful reminder as we consider contentment is you're not yet in heaven. That's coming. We are on an earth that is often because, as Dennis prayed, our first parents miserable. And so you're going to have many and varied circumstances. You're going to be abounding and then brought low. And just to remind you that this is the way it is here. We're not fatalistic or pessimistic, constantly thinking everything's going to be bad. And yet the reality is, this coming year, as you looked at last year, you're going to have a, a heaping helping of both. It's normal, isn't it? So we often talk of the Christian life as a battle, a fight, a war. That's what the life of a Christian is. And what God is doing, as we'll see in a moment here, is teaching you. Paul says twice that he has to learn contentment. And so God's highest good for you is to teach you, to instruct you that you might become more like Christ. Second, our comfort in these varied circumstances is that God is the giver of them both. He's in control. Again, we're in a new year, about to start a new year, and you can look back upstream to last year and be grateful for a whole bunch and regret a whole bunch, right? Both are probably true for you. And the new year is a complete mystery. It's an unexplored part of the river yet. And God is kind of not telling you what it's going to be like, but you have to trust Him as you go into that. He's our pilot. And the one thing that you should know as God pilots you through the next year is that whatever He gives, He gives. He who didn't spare His only Son but graciously gave Him up for you all, He's going to give you whatever He gives you. But it's from Him, our Heavenly Father, our Provider, the One who has taken away all of our sin, the One who has given us His Holy Spirit, now, I'm not saying that your choices have no role in what's coming. We, the mystery is that God is sovereign and completely in control of everything, and what you decide to do really does affect what happens. And so we must trust God and try to live according to His Word and be wise. Some of the things that you'll encounter that are bad are just your stupidity, or mine, or other stupidity causing difficulty in your life, but in all of that, God is the giver of it all. And so we look to Him. Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, because He knows that all things are from Him. Right? All things are from Him. So if you've had a coach that you trusted, a coach that you knew loved you and had your best at heart, you can receive hard instruction because it's coming from somebody that you trust and know loves you. Same thing with a parent. You learn, hopefully, throughout the years with your dad or 
mom, that they can be trusted, that they love you, that they would give their life for you. And so if they give you discipline, you can trust it, though at the moment you don't like it, you can trust it. How much more God? If all things are from Him, and you're convinced that He is perfectly good and wise and loving and powerful, and if you keep your eyes on Him, then you can receive whatever He gives. And say like Job, He gives, He takes. Blessed be His name, because He's good. So first, circumstantially, sometimes you'll be brought low, sometimes you'll abound. Don't neglect that that's normal in this age. Second, it's all from God, and so we can trust Him. Third, as I said earlier, this contentment that we're seeking is something that has to be learned. He says it twice. In verse 11, I have learned to be content. In verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This was, to me, the most impactful part of studying this this week, hopefully trying to learn it myself. He had to learn it. Now, this is just simply the description of what it means to be a Christian. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is somebody who is not what they want to be yet and has to spend time and work and effort learning what they don't know yet. So maybe for you in this new year, you're going to have to learn truth and Scripture that you just don't know yet. There, are, There is a lot to learn doctrinally. Don't neglect that part of it. But... A Christian is first and foremost a humble learner. That's it. Now, this was true even before the fall. To learn isn't just due to sinfulness. It's what God made us to be as human beings. To discover new things. It's a delight to be in a world that is always new. There's always more to learn. This is one of the greatest realities of being a Christian. God, you'll never exhaust the knowledge of Him. We we sang some truths about God, right? One of them we sang is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Do any of you have any idea what that means? I mean, really. Do you have any idea what it means that God is one in three? Do you know anything about the being of God? I don't. That's a wonderful reality that we'll never exhaust it, even in heaven. We will have an eternity of learning and growing in the knowledge of the glory of God. And so as you hear that Paul, an apostle, maybe the greatest of them, had to learn how to be content. Doesn't that teach you some humility? You're, you know, you're not all that. You you really don't know hardly anything. Not only don't you know data, you know yourself when you face circumstances you don't enjoy, you rarely are in control of yourself. You're really not that good. You know, kids, let's say if you're 15 to 22 or so, and your dad or mom makes a decision that you don't approve of, how do you handle it? What's your emotional internal 
condition? Do you handle it with wisdom and decency? How do you do? Don't you have to learn that? Isn't that a part of maturing? So this is a a call to humility and also a call to really not think better of yourself than you ought. There are some times where I think I have gotten good at handling criticism. And do you know when I think that I've gotten good at handling criticism? When I'm not being criticized. And then when I'm criticized, do you know what I learn? I'm not good at it. So all of God's children, all of us, will spend the rest of our lives learning this lesson. No one gets to graduate early. No one gets to skip a grade. There are some who, in their um, demeanor, their God-given makeup, are better at this than others. That's not due to them. This is just a gift of God. There are some who are just easy going. We have twin sons. One is Jamaican and one is high-strung Irish. And they're from the same mother. And they're very, very different. But you're all going to be learners. And the way that you'll learn this contentment is through experiences that are often very unpleasant. And look at what Paul says. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be brought low. Do you understand what's contained in that short phrase, brought low? Have you ever been brought low? Humbled? Down? Paul's learned how to handle that. The opposite side, though, is true as well. He knows how to abound. This is something that we often neglect to remember that it's true that when you're brought low, you're humbled. You don't have to work hard to be humbled in humbling circumstances. But being brought high, abounding, is often a greater danger to our souls than being brought low. There is a temptation when you've lost something significant, health or a loved one, that you can just go to despair and give in and lose hope and become hard and callous and heartless. That's a temptation, but that's not as dangerous as the pride that's a danger to our souls when we're abounding, when you're winning. So Paul has learned in both those circumstances how to just continue to rest in God, to not get too high when he's abounding and not get too low when he's in need. So he's learned it, but he's learned it through very, very, very difficult circumstances. A life of pain. You know Paul's life, right? You remember, when he converted to Christianity, what happened? What, did, what, what, what was the next thing you read about Paul? He's being lowered in a basket from a wall to run for his life. (laughs) At his conversion, what it was said to him is he's going to learn how much he's going to suffer for my name. This is the life of a Christian. But a little twist in this is Paul didn't learn this 
in isolation from relationships. What I mean is, too often I think we conceive of our life in Christ, our Christianity is something that we've got to figure out in of myself. But Paul says here that, in, let's say 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Again in 4.9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 4.10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now length you have revived your concern for me. So positively, we're going to need each other to learn contentment. You'll not learn it on your own. You'll need others to just look at and observe how they handle things. You'll see others who are single and you're single and you want to learn from them contentment in your circumstances. You'll see others who are empty nesters and you're about to enter into that. And how do I learn how to walk with Christ in that season? You'll see others who have had misery at work or in family relationship, how they handle that positively. But you also see the negative. For many, verse 3.18, of whom I have told you and tell you now with tears, walk as enemies. They were walking with Christ. They were confessing with Christ. But now they're turned from Him. So we're going to need examples. But we're also going to need those who share in the trouble with us. Look at 4.14. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. As we learn contentment by going through all kinds of circumstances, the one thing we'll constantly need are other people to help us. It says in 4.16 that you sent help me help for my needs once and again, or as another translation says, time and again. The The reason Paul writes in this letter in a way that he really doesn't to any other church, it's very warm, it's very affectionate, it's upbeat, positive, is because the Philippians loved him enough to constantly be those people who were always there helping him. And so, when you're up, be aware of looking down at others such that you isolate yourself from them. When you're down, beware of lying and putting on a lie to everybody else that isolates you from that you, so that, such that it looks like you don't need any help. Again, we don't want to build a church that's just a bunch of liars. Okay? Yet a lot of your marriages are very difficult, painful, embarrassing. Shameful. What are you going to do? Hide? Lie about it? Act like it's good? And you can apply that to many other circumstances. So don't isolate yourself. Also, don't be unconcerned for the needs of others. Go towards them. We've said this phrase, and we want to continue to say it. If you see something, say something. 
we at our elder deacon, pastor, and wife's Christmas party played a game. Pastor Jeff usually leads a game. And Pastor Mark was on my team. And he cost us some points. What he did was, the question or whatever was, it was kind of like a Pictionary game, right? And, you know, you drew something. I think, was it a song? I don't remember. And Mark, Pastor Mark, always his first instinct, and the first two were right, and then he scribbled it out and put second, right? And then the second one was wrong. I'm using it as an illustration, like, his gut was right. His first instinct was right. Often when you see something in somebody's life, you're right. Your gut's right. But then you start talking yourself out of it, right? So if you see something, just humbly go up to some them and say, Hey, this is what I see. You could be wrong, right? This isn't judgmental. This isn't to cast stones. This isn't to elevate yourself. This is to humbly enter into the, what you see. Parents, you've got to do this all the time. You're always looking at your kids. And you're typically right in your gut. So share concerns. Don't separate yourselves. Again, this is the great goodness of being a part of a church. You don't have to learn this lesson alone. Ever. We get to do this together. We get to learn contentment, which is often going to be very, very painful. Together. With support and care and love and tenderness and a listening ear and prayer and gathering every week to sing again of the mercies of Christ and the greatness of God as a weekly respite from the difficulty. And so don't hide. So those are the three lessons around it. You're going to go through ups and downs, brought low and abound. It's all from God, so you can rest in it. And third, you're going to have to learn it. But we get to learn it together. All right, so with those in mind, what is contentment? What does it mean? What I want you to get at is, when I say contentment, Kids, it's Christmas, right? When you open your presents, at the end of it, did you think to yourself, I got everything I wanted? No. Because there was things that you wanted that you didn't get. Or there was things that you got that you wanted a different model. I wanted a boning knife to cut apart deer and a very specific one, and I got a different one. I don't want that bony knife. I wanted that one. Well, I bring that up to say, sometimes as we think about contentment, we just think about stuff. I should be content with what I have. And that is true, but that's not the main thing I want you to think about with contentment here. Instead, it, read again. Let's read again, 11 and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation... He's talking about life circumstances here, not just possessions. It's bigger than possessions. 
In whatever situation, I'd be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. What he's talking about here in contentment is that we are not slaves in our minds, in our internal reactions to circumstances. They aren't our God. God is our God. And so another word for contentment here is just resting in God. That we have trust in God in any and every circumstance. That's what Paul has learned. Maybe a, a, an example in Scripture would be Acts 16. You remember Paul and Barnabas were arrested. They're in jail. And, you know, this isn't like our nice county lockup. This is a, a pit. And what are they doing? Singing. It's a famous example that makes us all feel guilty. <laughs> that, that's, content, that's a picture of contentment. Another picture of contentment would be Christ on the cross. He's not a slave to the circumstance of his crucifixion. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. He's a master of himself in the circumstance. The circumstance isn't a master of him. That's what Paul's getting at here. Now, this doesn't mean that we become robots. The Bible is also full of emotion. The psalmist crying out, How long, O Lord? That's not discontentment. To cry out to God in pain. It's full of rejoicing. Here, twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. But in the midst of it, in our circumstances, contentment means learning always to go to God. Relying on people. Another misconception of contentment is that not only does it merely deal with possessions, is that it, you think that contentment means to just never seek advancement. Never seek to get better. Well, that's not true either. The Bible blesses hard work and skill and advancement, making yourself better to be more useful to others. But in those circumstances, as you seek excellence, as you seek to get better, as you seek advancement, those things don't own you. You're not a slave to them. Because we're a slave to Christ. That's what contentment is at root. We are in of ourselves given solely to Jesus Christ and His honor and glory. And that's our goal. And that's what makes us discontent. When He isn't being honored in my life. When He isn't being honored in the lives of others. When others are struggling in their circumstances and you want them again to rest in Christ. That's where we're discontent. But in our circumstances, high or low, abounding or in need, we love Christ. So at the root of it, this has to do with our love. What do we love? What's your greatest love? Sin is always disordered love, isn't it? 
It's that your love is out of whack. A father can get like this. What he loves more than anything is the respect and accolades that come from work. So he'll neglect his wife and kids. His love, his affections are disordered. A mom can love peace and comfort and her own schedule and gets angry easily or frustrated with the kids because loves are disordered. Church members can get like this. They love their song, their kind of music. They love this or that little thing. They have a wish dream for the way the church should be and it's not being met and so they're frustrated and angry and backbiting. Their loves are disordered. And so what's your greatest love? Where does your contentment come from? I wanted to read the first part there of chapter 3. Because where Paul grounds our contentment in verses 20 and 21 is just in Christ. Now you've heard this so many times. You have to have the faith to hear it again. Your citizenship is in heaven. And here Paul says that we're waiting for something. Discontentment is always waiting, right? <laughs> what are we waiting for? What, what do you love that you're waiting for? We're waiting for Christ who will give you a new body. What's wrong with this body? Now, if you're 80, that answer is like, why do you ask stupid questions? If you're 25 or 35, you probably may think, what's wrong with this body? What's wrong with your body is that your love is all messed up in your body. Paul calls it a body of death. Not mainly because of the physical failures that are inherent with this body, but because this flesh is so given to loving and attaching itself fully to things that don't actually bring God glory and honor. We're full of sin and misery. And so Paul raises our eyes, doesn't he? To Christ in heaven who will come and transform us. And four, four, our rejoicing is, is always in the Lord. In four, seven, the peace comes from God that guards our hearts and minds. In four, nineteen, our hope that is our contentment in all things is that God will supply everything we need. And so the reason that we grumble and complain and despair so much is because we neglect to remember Christ and what He's done for us and what He promises to do for us. So, do you turn your thoughts to looking at and admiring Christ? Contentment is self-mastery. It's controlling even your thoughts, right? Do you take hold of your thoughts and turn them to think that your citizenship is in heaven? That Christ is there and returning and that He'll give you a new body? Do you turn your mind to think that in Christ, who gives us full strength, we can endure anything? This is the secret of learning contentment. Now, again, you're going to have to learn this. You're going to have to go through Christ's school, which is not like 
4K with nap time and fruit snacks and no geometry yet. This is boot camp. It's going to be painful. There's going to be loss. The fear here, of course, is 319 and 20, or 318 and 20, or 19. That you may be tempted to just give yourself to the world and so turn from Christ. Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Is that in you? It's in me. Right? And so what does Paul tell us to do? Well, imitate those who are continuing to walk with Christ and stand firm and for one in the Lord. Rejoice in Him. Look to Him for strength in whatever you go through. The exhortation though is four one. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Notice how he makes it a personal decision, a choice. You stand firm in the Lord. You choose seeing the greatness of God and the goodness of God and sending His Son. Stand firm there. Don't be moved off of that. Give yourself to it. Life will change. There will be ups or downs. There will be abundance. There will be blessings. There will be wins. There will be losses. There will be rejoicing. There will be sadness. Stand firm in the Lord. Rest content in Him through it all. And help each other stay there. Just stay there. Don't be moved from where you are. Either by blessings or by takings. Just stay there in Christ. Just stay there. Don't be moved. Stand firm in the Gospel. Now this is going to be particularly true in your sin. Don't be moved to so much despair and pride that you think you've done too much and so Christ is no use to you. What do you do if you find yourself in sin again? Go back to the Lord. That's it. Right? We stand firm in the Lord. That's the secret to contentment. Let's pray. Father, help us to have faith to endure this school, this life. And please have mercy on us that we would stand firm in Your Son and have faith to learn contentment, to learn resting and trusting in You, to, to raise our eyes as children to You, our Heavenly Father, who promised to keep us until the end. And so God, please help us now to learn contentment in any and every circumstance. So Father, we give ourselves to You fully and wholly, knowing that all things are from Your hand. And so God, we look to You for help. Please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.